Welcome to Conversation Mill. Join me as I talk to individuals stepping out to pursue their passions, from small business owners to community leaders, and learn with me how we can work together to support our local communities and local economies. Visit conversationmill.com to learn more, but now please join us in conversation. On the episode today, I am in conversation with Marty Ford, co-founder and owner of Ascent Naturals, a CBD extraction company, and Upstate Alchemy, a CBD product line. Marty shares his extensive knowledge of the CBD industry and the challenges still facing the industry and the mission behind the business he and his wife Sharon started in 2019. If you've ever been curious about the CBD craze or tried an ingestible or topical CBD product and were unsure of the results, today's episode, I think, will answer most, if not all, your questions. Join me now in conversation with Marty Ford. Thank you for joining me today, Marty. I want to jump right in because we have a lot of ground to cover in this episode. We were speaking a bit before the podcast and you were sharing about your time in the nutraceutical and OTC industries. Can you explain to us what those industries are and your path in those industries? Because I think it gives us a better understanding of you and Sharon's ability to pivot into CBD extraction. Sure. Um, Nutraceuticals really encompasses the dietary supplement uh, market. Traditional dietary supplements, multivitamins, vitamin C, you know, all of those type herbal products. Um, OTC stands for over-the-counter. So they are drug products that are um, available to consumers without a prescription. So if you think of things like ibuprofen, Tylenol, those types of things are OTCs. Uh, we, my, my background and, and Sharon's background both are in those GMP regulated industries and GMP stands for good manufacturing practices. So the FDA regulates all of those industries. Dietary supplement falls. It's kind of a special category under the foods umbrella. Uh, and then OTC is under that drug level. Okay. So in order to be able to manufacture those products, you have to be able to qualify to meet the manufacturing requirements to make those products. And they're very, they're spelled out quite well in the FDA's regulations regarding those industries. Um, my, my background the, the largest chunk of my background, I ran the GNC manufacturing facilities, first solid dosage and then solid dosage and um, soft gel manufacturing uh, at, on neutral manufacturing here in Greenville. Um, that's the GNC manufacturing facility, or it was until they sold it off. Um, beyond that, I've also worked for um, Steris Isometics, which was a, a sterilization facility in Spartanburg, okay. which sterilized medical device um all types of medical devices, surgical kits, things along those lines. And prior to that, uh, I worked with IVAC Corporation in the Raleigh area in Creedmoor, and they did a lot of IV sets. So both the equipment and the disposable portions of IV sets. Um, that's the biggest part of my career. Um, Sharon's has, has followed a similar path. Um, she was, she's worked for a lot of different, she, she did a little bit more on the pharma side early on and then moved over, uh, and she, she, uh, led the GNC product development team at, at Nutra, uh, for about 10 years. So she brought a lot of that product development knowledge into our business as we started this one. So how does one get on that career path? 
I don't know that it was a conscious decision to go that path. Okay. My education is I'm a mechanical engineer, graduated from North Carolina State. Uh, I have an MBA from University of South Carolina, which was a little bit later in my career. But the medical device, I, I really kind of got into that one is that was the field that I first entered. And I entered as a um, project engineer. So there were a number of us project engineers who had responsibility for a portion of their clean room and the equipment that went in there. So I, I developed uh, equipment knowledge. Um, I moved on from there to actually designing and programming sterilization systems uh, for IVAC before I left that company. Um, because of my experience in sterilization, I was hired by Isometics and then later Steris Isometics in Spartanburg, first as a production manager, and then I ran that plant. Um, that was for about five years. It was a smaller company. I wanted something a little bit more challenging, and there was a position that opened up at Nutra to lead their uh, solid dosage manufacturing operations, and I took that. And I was there for 15 years. A uh, little bit of a sidetrack. Uh, after that, I two years at um, Confluence uh, water sports, which okay. is a kayak manufacturer. Yeah, so that's I had a, a couple big years departure. there. It, it is a big departure, and it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Um, but when I left that company, I really decided. I really thought, what do I want to do next? And I had the luxury of having some time to be able to try to figure that out. And I did some consulting for a pharmaceutical company in New York who wanted to start their own extraction facility, a hemp extraction facility. So they hired me to go out and figure out what's the best technology um, to write their SOPs uh, and their work instructions and to get the whole package so that I could bring it to them and say, okay, this is what I think you should do um, to be able to have a successful extraction operation. And by the time I had done that, they had, they had just received a, a huge new amount of business that required them to invest about $40 million to expand their operations and... The CEO of that company just said, hey, I, while I would have loved to have done this, I can't now. But if you would like to start an extraction company, we'll buy from you. And that's what really got us started down this path. During that time with all of that investigations, and I went to a ton of trade shows. I went to a lot of different extraction facilities out west. I, I, and, and I picked up some of the products from the trade shows. And I brought them back. And my mom has um, severe arthritis. Okay. Uh, and she had been using a walker to get around. And I gave her some of the tincture samples, and they really helped her. You know, they gave her a lot of mobility back at the time, and it, it allowed her to move around without the walker a lot more than she was doing. And it really was the first experience, personal experience for me, where I saw the benefit of what the extracts from hemp can do for people. And what year was this? That would be, uh, that was about early 2018. Okay. Because I'm kind of trying to think back um, of kind of when this CBD sort of like explosion happened, where all of a sudden it was like, you maybe had heard of it from one person and then you turn around and there was like a CBD shop on every corner. Right. Um, so I'm kind of trying to think what year that was that it really like started to blow up. Really, it was 2019. Okay. 2018, the U.S., the Farm Bill was passed. Mm -hmm. And the Farm Bill legalized hemp. And, and 
just so everybody is aware, because there's a lot of confusion. People will th- say cannabis. Well, cannabis is marijuana. Cannabis is, it encompasses marijuana and hemp. And the only difference between the two is the amount of Delta 9 THC that is present in the plant. So the federal government has defined hemp as anything less than 0.3% Delta 9 THC. If you're there, you're hemp. If you're above that, then it's considered marijuana. Okay. And you guys look, use a local farm. So when you were doing this research for someone else and you were, you were visiting, were you finding that a lot of these, um, companies that were now making these products were using local farms? Back at that time, there, there weren't really, there was nowhere near the just plethora of brands that exist today. There were probably, I would say maybe 10 larger brands. Okay. And then some people that were trying to get into the industry. And a lot of that was coming from the West, Colorado, and Kentucky. They were really the early, they were the early states that really jumped in and not just legalized marijuana, but also embraced hemp. South Carolina was a lot slower. They had a very small program in 2018, limited, and I, I think it was to 20 different farmers. And, and that was it. And you could only grow a certain amount. And it was really very, very limited. It, it's just the best term for it. It wasn't really until 2019, after the Farm Bill passed, that they really started opening up that program. And you mentioned Kentucky and Colorado. Now, was there were their states just uh, supporting the, those programs quicker or faster, allowing for more growing? Was there some sort of assistance there? Or was it just the conditions there were right. I mean, I know spending some time in Kentucky, uh, we went on this limestone cave tour. And so we learned a lot about limestone in the soil and that's why the grass is blue. And so the racehorses eat that grass. And so that could be a contributing factor to why those racehorses are the way they are. So was there something like that with growing hemp there that it became popular or it, it just happened to be Kentucky and Colorado? I mean, I think from, so if I say, uh, east of the Mississippi, I think Kentucky kind of led the way okay. um, on the eastern part of the United States. They were early. They they embraced what they could do before the Farm Bill passed, I think, much more quickly than the rest of the states on the eastern part of the United States. Um, Colorado was really, they're, they're considered the pioneer from an entire cannabis perspective because they led the way with legalizing marijuana both from a medical marijuana usage, but also rec usage. And marijuana was legal there. Hemp was definitely legal there. That's just a, a lower Delta 9 THC percent plant. So that that's really why I say Colorado. And then the rest of the West Coast followed it. They're probably more progressive in this area um, than sure. the rest of the country. You guys got in this to help people. So you saw it work for your mom. Um, but then what continued to kind of motivate you to go, okay, I'm going to take the risk of, of doing this, um, with one customer, um, and hopefully grow this into something. It was, it was more than just seeing the effects on one person, talking to people that were involved in the industry. As I did my investigation early on, there were many, I heard many, many stories of the benefits that different people saw for different reasons, anxiety, um, reduction in pain, 
Um, there's a lot of studies going on on how it can help. Uh, there, there's so, I mean, you, if you do a list on benefits of cannabinoids, if you did a search on Google, you get a lot of scientific papers that are out there right now looking at different ways that this plant might be able to help people. So it, it was, it was more than just that. It was also the fact that I, I was looking for what I wanted to do next. And I wanted to do something that did help people. That's, that's really that been the driving factor. Once I got into medical device and then sterilization and then dietary supplements, I, I wanted to do something that I felt very confident that there were benefits for people. Right. And, and this really, it just was kind of like the next thing in line. So were you concerned about the startup's costs being a small business owner and going, okay, I'm going to jump in and do this? If so, what were the costs involved in starting something like this? There was some concern there, definitely. Um, you know, you have to secure a facility. Mm -hmm. Whether you're leasing or purchasing, you have to secure a facility. And then you have to secure all the equipment necessary to be able to do the processes that you want to do. And we really started out just to be a hemp extractor. That's okay. what we were going to do. We were going to bring in biomass. We were going to, through our processes, extract the cannabinoids and terpenes and have those extracts available for other people to purchase so that they could then turn those into consumer products and sell them. And, you know, we talk about, it's like a CBD store on every corner now. In the middle of 2019, because of the 2018 Farm Bill passing, mm -hmm everybody jumped into this space. So what you saw was very, very steep reductions in prices for biomass, for extracts. And it became very difficult in the early days. If I remember correctly, I think there were around 42, I think processing license issued in the state of South Carolina. And when I looked earlier this year, there were six people left. Oh, wow. Okay. So, you know, you have to make a decision at that point in time. You have two choices when something like that happens. You can invest further to become a very large extractor so that you can gain the economies of scale necessary to still be able to profit at very low sales prices for extracts. Right. Or you can take what you're doing and then invest in the processes necessary to become a contract manufacturer. And we chose the latter. So we went out and we started small on everything, but we be, we learned how to make topicals first. Then, you know, topicals, tinctures was next. And then after tinctures was gummies. And, you know, you start small with small equipment, then larger equipment, and then automated equipment. And you just go as you can gain that business and grow. So if I, if I wanted to start a Rebecca's CBD, I would find somebody like you who is extracting it from the hemp. Um, and then what, what is that conversation like? What kind of uh, conversations were they having with you? Like, what were the questions they were coming to you with? Because um, out there we're seeing every one of these brands has a different potency, if you will. Um, and I've tried some that I feel like didn't work for me. And then um, 
full disclosure, I use your product. And when it worked for me, I was like, oh, wow, I need to meet them. I need to talk to them because why is this so different than what I've tried in the past? So, um, so what are those conversations that start the process of working with somebody who wants their own CBD company? Um, because they must be asking like, how much do I buy from you? How much do I put in who's mixing it? Like what's happening there? That is a huge scope question. <laughs> it is. It is. I'm sorry. We can, we can break That's it okay. up. We can, we can so, break it up. So let me first talk about, you know, what does it take when you first, I'll even step back further than that. Talking about having conversations with people who may want their own brands. And, mm. um, I, I had an advantage, Sharon and I had an advantage because we come from that industry. If you consider extracts from hemp as an ingredient, as opposed to being something special, it's an ingredient. Right. It can go in dietary supplements. Um, I know a lot of people in those industry, in that industry, because I was in that industry for so long. I worked with a lot of different people, companies large and small, and I had the advantage of knowing those people so that it was easy to pick up the phone and say, hey, just wanted to let you know I started this company, and if you're interested in going down the route of including some type of cannabinoid in any of your products, give us a chance. Where if you're if you don't have that background, if you don't know those people, it's a lot harder, not impossible, mm -hmm. but a lot harder to be able to just pick up a phone and, and call people. I think that's not to cut you off, but I think that's a great point to bring up, especially for small business owners, because um, you know, I, I think when people are thinking of starting businesses, there is a certain aspect of go with what you know because you probably have a built-in network from what you were doing before. Right. So in your case, you know, you knew those people who were making products. So you knew who to reach out to and say, Hey, if you need this ingredient, I have it. Um, I, I just kind of wanted to interject that there because I think that's something that sometimes people go, Oh, I'm in finance, but I'm not happy. So I'm going to go start a restaurant and that's to a totally different world. So it might be your passion to cook, but do you know food costs? Do you know the best people to reach out to get it? from. Um, so I just, I, I wanted to make a note of that point. Cause I think that's really key, especially in a, in a case like this, where it is something kind of specific. I was also, so I, I had that, that first path open to me because I know a lot of people in the industry. And the second path was really being active in the hemp program for the South Carolina department of agriculture, you know, getting to know the people that were involved, um, I participated in, they had a couple of hemp events mm -hmm. early on where you got to interact not only with farmers and other contract manufacturers or brands, but also people that are coming in that are looking for a contract manufacturer or the public that's just interested and wants to learn more. So that was available. And, you know, the, the first place most people that are looking for a contract manufacturer are going to look, especially on the hemp side, they're going to go to the Department of Agriculture's because in every state, every state requires some type of licensing, licensing to be able to process, to grow, process, or even transport hemp. Mm -hmm. And they list those people who have those licenses on their website. So you can go, no matter what state you're from, you can go to the Department of Agriculture site and you can see who in that state or any state has the ability to be able to work with him. Okay. And so you were getting a lot of leads from that early on or. It, yes. And, yeah. and I, I still get some today because 
while our business has matured and changed, we do still extract. Mm -hmm. And we have a lot of small farmers that are looking for some outlet for their biomass, for the product that they, they grew. It's very difficult to sell small quantities unless sure. there's something special about it. If you just grew for biomass and you grew a couple of acres and you're trying to sell it, it's going to be extremely difficult. So we work with those farmers. They, they bring their biomass to us. We extract it. And then with those extracts, we make products for them so they can sell it at their farm store or a friend's pharmacy or try to sell it in some other way, which gives them an outlet to be able to make money off of the crop that they grew. Oh, that makes complete sense. Did you find that uh, farmers were adding hemp as a crop to things they already had? Or were these new farmers coming along saying, I want to get into this industry or I'm familiar with this industry. And so I'm going to start a farm, um, growing hemp. Both. Okay. Really it was, there were a lot of people that jumped in just because it was hemp and they wanted to grow. And at the time, you know, in, in 2018, you could get several dollars per percentage point CBD per pound. Okay. Today, you're lucky to get several dollars per pound of hemp, and that's a huge difference. Um, but there were a lot of people jumping in, and, and there were a lot of farmers that said, I need something that's more profitable, so they went the hemp route. Uh, unfortunately, there was such a glut of material on the market that a lot of farmers left the, the hemp industry. Sure. And with the hemp, I believe you guys are using an organic hemp. Correct. It's organically grown, grown, correct. Correct. Um, is there, have you seen a difference in product from organically grown and not certified organically grown hemp that it you feel like is noticeable or because, uh, there, I, there's lots of products out there that are organic and, and are, you can make an argument on both sides of, um, you know, when it's certified organic, yes, you have that documentation that nothing's been, you know, sprayed on the soil. So there is that benefit, but with, uh, you know, water runoff and things like that, there, you know, there's arguments on both sides that even if you're saying it's organic, it's still getting contaminated somehow through pollution. Um, but have you seen a difference in testing a product that's organically grown hemp versus the other? Yes. Or, or, or yes. I mean, and, and that may be a tough question to answer, but if not that, then what made, uh, you partner with someone who is doing it organically versus, cause I'm sure there's more expense in choosing the organic route versus none. The actually from, um, from a hemp biomass perspective, there's very little premium for organically grown versus not good to know, but you, whether it's organically grown or not, you have to pass full panel testing on that hemp product. So that means I'll, I'll know exactly the cannabinoids that are in the plant because we do a potency test so we can see that. Um, you know any pesticides that may have contaminated the plant material because there's a, a large number of pesticides that are tested for. Um, we look at microbial contamination we look at um, mycotoxins, heavy metals. So if the soil had some level of heavy metals, the, one of the great and bad things about hemp is it's a soil scrubber. You know, okay. if, if it has, if you have leftover pesticides or heavy metals in your soil, 
it's going to absorb them. Wow. Uh, that's, that's very interesting. Yeah. So, um, again, if I'm, if I'm cutting off your thought, just stop me and continue. But so could you take a field that's been non-organic and plant hemp just as like a cover crop, harvest it and test the soil and see a difference? Potentially. Yes. And the, the difficulty there is you'd have to You'd have to become a hemp farmer through the South Carolina Department of Agriculture's program first, sure. get the license, then plant. But if you were hoping to use that hemp, if you said, say it was contaminated by pesticides and the hemp was able to absorb that those pesticides from the soil, you'd have material that you wouldn't be able to sell. Sure. Sure. I just, I find it interesting of, is that a possible way to <coughs> down the road, utilize hemp growing as a way of speeding up that process of, uh, certifying, certifying a field organic, um, if growing hemp can really suck some of that toxic stuff out of the soil. I had never heard that before. And, and it also depends on how you're growing hemp. Hemp can be grown for fiber or it can be grown for biomass. And the practices are very, very differently. If, if you come across the hemp field and, all the plants are very close together and they're tall and you have these long stalks that's being grown for fiber. If you're growing it for biomass so that you can actually extract cannabinoids and use them, it, they're going to be further apart. They're going to be bushier. There's going to be a lot more of those aerial parts, the leaves and the flower there. Um, so it really depends on how you're growing hemp also. The farms here in South Carolina are growing for biomass. I do not know the current number. Okay. Yeah. But we, early on, we, we originally partnered with a farm in North Carolina, uh, which was where we purchased our very first biomass. They were certified organic, but they were a very small operation. And as we grew and we needed to be able to purchase additional, uh, we were actually partnered by the South Carolina Department of Agriculture with the farm that we work with now. They're considered the benchmark. It's Holland Hill Farm. Okay. They're in Aiken. And they're kind of considered the, the benchmark hemp grower for South Carolina. Um, they were very close with the South Carolina Department of Agriculture. There were, uh, and their inspectors were sent down to that farm to help them uh, train. And they put us in touch. We were the first processor to be inspected by the South Carolina Department of Agriculture. And because we designed our facility to meet the GMP requirements, uh, for dietary supplements, it was it's a very different level than at least early on what most of the processors looked like and how they operated. So the checklist that the South Carolina Department of Agriculture has was developed from our site. And they sent, when they did their training, I think it was a year ago, and brought a lot of inspectors in, they brought them up to our site so that they could have training. Walk us through the timeline of setting up that facility. We leased the facility starting in March. We had to do a lot of renovation. It, it was basically an open facility. It had been in the past a collision repair center. Okay. So it had been completely stripped out. It was just a, a an open facility with a small office area. So we had to design from the ground up sure. everything we wanted to be able to make sure that we met those GMP requirements. Um, and then it took about six months to get all of that work done. Uh, we started operations in October of 2019, and it was a lot of training the first several months. Uh, we we 
we brought in specialists from the equipment manufacturers for the equipment that we purchased. We brought in a couple of industry experts to, to help us kind of not only, so the equipment manufacturers helped with learning how to use the equipment, but then you have to figure out how do all these processes, whether in Syria or parallel, how do they all come together and work efficiently? So we brought in some industry experts to help us with that. Uh, and then we really started hitting our stride in January of 2020. Okay. And how did the pandemic then affect uh, your work and what you were doing? Yeah, timing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> A lot of projects were put on hold. Okay. Um, even, even the pharmaceutical company that we're working with, because of the pandemic, they really slowed down their introduction of cannabinoids into the products that they manufactured. So that was really the trigger that caused us to start looking about what else can we do? We started with topicals first. Okay. Um, but at the same time that, that we're trying to figure out where we're going, we had a lot of people stopping by the facility wanting to buy product. They wanted to buy tinctures or gummies or topicals. And at the time, we were just making extracts. We, we didn't have any of that stuff. So that's how Upstate Alchemy came into being because we said, okay, we want a local brand and we're not trying to go national. We're not, you know, we're, we really want to be local. We want to help educate people on the benefits of hemp and um, the products from the hemp plant. So that's how Upstate Alchemy got it started. And at the same time, we, we had a number of smaller local and regional brands reach out and ask us about making product for them. So we started making a couple of there and then we were really considering what to do next where do we go next? Do we, do we try to escalate Upstate Alchemy and go beyond what we really wanted it to be? Um, where do we go? And we had an opportunity to make product for Walgreens. So that, um, that would be a big contract. Yeah, yeah. And, and they gave us 10 days to formulate and put together four products or five products actually for their evaluation. So it was a very hectic 10 days because normally you're looking at uh, a topical company needing months to be able to go in, formulate products, test products, um, even even bringing in ingredients and packaging componentry to be able to do something like that. And you know, when you're, when you're young as a company and have a lot more flexibility, you do what you have to, to make sure that you can take advantage of opportunities of like that because they don't come along often. And, uh, we were awarded that business and we're, we make the topical line for that company now. Uh, they just, congratulations. That's, Thank you. So that's a Thank quick you. turnaround, 10 days. Yeah. Yeah. It, it was, it, it was a hectic time. There wasn't a lot of sleep during those 10 days. So, <laughs> and did, so did Walgreens seek you out because of your connection with this benchmark farm, which has this good relationship and, and you guys were kind of, no, it was standard? really our, our connections in the industry. Um, because we know so many people in mm -hmm. that industry, like I said, it was an advantage for us. So you are now making a line for them that is, uh, is it labeled under the Walgreens brand? That's then? correct. Okay. Congratulations. Thank you. Is that now a bulk of your business is servicing uh, that it's about 25% of our business. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's, um, they've done well. It, 
One of the difficulties, so I'm going back to that overly broad scope question you asked earlier. One of the difficulties in this industry is there are still segments of the country that consider hemp to be less than legal, although it's legal federally, it's legal in states. You can't advertise cannabinoids on Google. You can't advertise them on Amazon, anything with cannabinoids in them. You can't advertise them on Bing, any major on Facebook, nothing. You, you can't do anything that has CBD in it on those platforms. Um, you won't see somebody like a CVS or a Walmart or a Walgreens or anybody like that advertising CBD or any other cannabinoid product on television, on radio, on the internet. It, it, it's, they, the, those outlets have made it very difficult for people to be educated. So they have to fall back on whatever they can find on the small brands or larger brands mm-hmm. um, on the internet for any type of information. And if you look at, let's say you look at Amazon. Amazon, if, if you wanted to advertise a tincture, that okay. had 500 milligrams of CBD on it. You can't. You you simply can't. Amazon's policy says you can only sell products that are derived from hemp seed. Okay. Hemp seeds do not have cannabinoids. They're a great source of protein. Hemp seed oil is a great cooking oil, but you're not going to get a benefit of cannabinoids from a product made from hemp seeds. So a lot of people have gone out and they've gone to Amazon because it's where they buy everything or they've gone somewhere else, you know, they buy it and they bought these products and people are, they're not lying, but I would say they are misleading. They're talking about hemp products. Here it is. Here's your hemp tincture. And they'll have these outrageous claims like, 20,000 milligrams of CBD, or I've seen some in the 200,000 yes. milligram CBD, yeah. or I'm sorry, hemp extract, not CBD. They can't do CBD. Right. The problem is, is it's an expensive bottle of hemp seed oil and uh, people are buying it and it's not working for them. So they're saying, well, this whole industry, this whole CBD industry isn't for me. It doesn't work. And it, okay. it's, it's been very difficult for people who don't know because they're falling back on these large online retail um, outlets to be able to find product that works for them. Sure. And, and, and I want to take a little bit of a sidetrack too, because early on, I, I was very, very specific about talking about CBD and talking about hemp extracts. CBD is one of over a hundred cannabinoids that exist in the hemp plant. Okay. In most strains of CBD, or I'm sorry, in most strains of hemp, CBD is the predominant cannabinoid. Um, for instance, in our, in our, uh, crude extracts. So it's the, the first pass of getting the materials off of the plant. About 65% of that extract is CBD. There's another 10 to 15% of other cannabinoids. And then you have terpenes and flavonoids and some sugars and starches. And then if you process it further, you get 
something that is called a distillate. And if you look anywhere online, you see this nice honey colored material. That's a distillate. Okay. The crude is almost black. It's very, okay. very dark brown to black. Um, but in there, you've got 85 plus percent CBD. And the rest is the other cannabinoids that are from the hemp plant. And unfortunately, this industry has gotten to where they call everything CBD. Okay. So you have to really understand the product you're getting. Is it a CBD isolate product where you have the benefit of one cannabinoid, CBD, or is it a full spectrum product where the entire family of cannabinoids that was stripped from that plant is being used, but it's standardized to a certain amount of CBD? Okay. I was going to ask you about that full spectrum versus the, the isolate. Um, because you see, I see full spectrum on a lot of things. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, cannabinoids in there with the CBD, what are those other ones and are there health benefits to those others? Yes. So the, the short answer is yes, there is health benefits to those others. And there's a lot of, um, investigation right now into what they call the entourage effect where the benefit from a full spectrum product because you have the benefit from all the different cannabinoids is actually more i'll say efficacious than just using a isolate it's like just using an isolate cbd not that there aren't benefits to using a product that is just an isolate but that there is an added benefit to using a full spectrum product because i couldn't name all the cannabinoids if i tried but some mm-hmm. of the major ones are CBG, and there's a lot of interest in CBG. Um, you know, there's CBL, there's CBC, there's then you can move into the other products that like Delta Eight um, THC and Delta Ten THC, and there's the number of cannabinoids out there is is tremendous, and they all have they all work similar, but it's almost like they each have a specialty where CBD specializes more in anti-inflammatory. CBG might specialize more in anti-anxiety. Um, and, and they all have what appears to be different specialties, but they all work very similarly in that they interact with the body's endocannabinoid system. That's their major um, form of interaction with the body. And they're, they're almost made for that interaction. And you mentioned uh, something like a CBG that might mm-hmm. be um, targeting more towards anxiety. Now, are people isolating just the CBG out there and selling that as a tincture or as a product to utilize? Yeah. If, if you looked at the, I'll, I'll say the big three cannabinoids right now, staying away from the different THCs for a moment. CBD is, is, has definitely been king so far. Yes. Uh, CBG has followed closely on its heels. And there are um, there are strains of product out there right now that are higher in CBG than they are in the other cannabinoids. And then CBN is the third one. And there's a lot of studies right now on CBN and how it might help aid in helping people sleep better. Okay. And so those three together are showing up in these full spectrum products and is that why we see this range of um, when you go somewhere and you're purchasing CBD and they say, oh, this can help with sleep, this can help with anxiety, this can, um, you know, help with uh, anti-inflammatory. Um, 
is that because all those things are in there working together? Um, or does CBD kind of address all of those by itself? Now there's, they, they all work together much. There's almost a synergy when they're working together in that the benefit that they give you is greater than the benefit of an individual cannabinoid. And, um, there are even studies, if you look at the medical marijuana side with THC, it appears that a 50-50 product of THC and CBD works better sure. than a pure CBD or a pure Delta 9 THC product will. Um, so yes, in a full spectrum product, you're getting, even though it might have a predominant cannabinoid like CBD or in a couple of um, cases, CBG, you have all those other cannabinoids in there. And I look at a full spectrum product as having almost two dosage levels. The first dosage level can just provide general relief. It makes you feel a little bit better. It gets you through the day better. It doesn't cause you to be tired. It doesn't cause you to, it just, you, you, it's almost like what you don't feel. You make it to the end of the day and you say, Hey, I had a great day. And, and that's kind of that first level. The second level, it, it enhances some of that, um, that feeling of relief and it helps you turn off your mind a little bit. It won't put you to sleep, but it allows you to fall asleep very easily. And that's what I kind of talk about when I talk about those two levels of dosing with cannabinoid products. Thank you for bringing that up. Cause it was actually one of my questions coming up, um, I definitely have experienced that first level of utilizing the product, um, per Sharon, your wife mm -hmm. saying, Hey, this is how I utilize it. And this is how it works for me. Just try it and then come back and let me know how it works. And that's exactly what I did. I followed her instructions, um, which in, in my case was like a tincture in the morning under my tongue. And then like late afternoon, or if I'm feeling anxious, I do like half a gummy and then nothing for the rest of the day. Or if I forget in the afternoon because I'm good or busy, then I take it before I go to sleep and it, it seems to help me sleep as well. Um, so I've, that's what I felt is it's not really enhancing anything inside of me. I would say it's, I, I feel nothing, but nothing in the sense of, I don't feel the anxiety I would normally feel to start to slowly build in the morning. I just kind of like, Oh, I was absent of Right. that anxiety versus I had anxiety and I added some stuff on top of it. And then I felt a certain way that was better than anxiety. Correct. Um, so it, in that second level that you mentioned that it's sort of enhancing that feeling of relief in my case, for instance, what would that dosage be? If I'm doing one tincture and half a gummy in the middle of the day, what would I do to up like, Am I doing another full tincture in the afternoon? Am I going to feel something different? It's very, very specific to the individual. So it's really hard to say this is what you have to do. I can give you an example for me. Uh, I take half of a thousand milligram tincture, so half of a, a milliliter in the mornings. And it helps me deal with the daily stresses of the day in a much better way than if I don't take it. And that's really all I generally take, unless I can't sleep. If I can't sleep, I will either take one and a half droppers, so one and a half milliliters of my thousand milligram, or I'll take three gummies at night. Okay. And for me, within half an hour, and, and I'll tell Sharon sometime, if you have something you need from me, it's now or 
I'm out in like uh-huh. 30 minutes. So, um, it, it's, it helps me. And again, it doesn't, it doesn't put me to sleep, but it, it allows me to shut off, mm-hmm. to put the day behind me, to put my worries for the next day behind me, close my eyes, feel good and just go to sleep. Can you explain to us the science behind that? Why that's working for you or for me? I'm not sure that the science is fully understood right now. I really believe it it's the interaction with the endocannabinoid system on one side. So that interaction, which helps improve communication throughout the body, all the cellular and communication throughout the body. Combined with the fact if you have some aches and pains and you're not being able to get comfortable, that that anti-inflammatory relief that the cannabinoids can provide just lets you rest a little bit easier. And the combination of those two allows you to fall asleep better. That makes sense. Uh, Inflammation is such a big thing in our society um, through the foods we're eating and the things we're putting into our body. And then we don't even know that we have all this inflammation that is then causing these other things. So if something is an anti-inflammatory, that right there would help probably a bunch of other symptoms the individual is having. Correct. Um, another thing with CBD that's become very popular, um, and again, something that I've utilized as well is utilizing CBD for your pet's anxiety, or if you're transporting a pet in a car on a plane, giving them CBD. So I'm always a little suspicious of something that works for humans or something that works for dogs and then working for humans as well. Um, so how does it work for both of us so well? Because both have an endocannabinoid system. So there's that interaction between the cannabinoids from the hemp plant and the body of the individual that's taking it. And all, all mammals have um, that endocannabinoid system. So there is benefit um, for pets also. And with your pet, can you overdose your pet on CBD? You How really much can't, is too much? You really can't overdose from the perspective of causing damage. What you'll happen, what will happen is if, if you give a pet too much, they're going to crawl up in the corner and go to sleep. And you know, you've, you've gone, you've gone to that second level or beyond and you can bring that dosage back down. Okay. Um, now I will say most animals are much smaller than people. The dosage yes. requirements for animals because of that size difference is correspondingly much smaller. And it's, it's the reason that on the Upstate Alchemy brands, we do our pet product at 150 milligrams in the tincture bottle because most pets don't need the level that you would get from 500 or 1,000 or 2,000 milligrams in that bottle. Okay. Um, so going back to, and try not to confuse people on dosage on pets and people here, we're bouncing back and forth, but we both kind of mentioned dosage that we use individually that works for us. What is, is there a blanket sort of dosage that you would say, Hey, I recommend this kind of to anybody who's starting to try CBD for the first time, or is it very individual where, um, for example, like I said, I met Sharon at the farmer's market and she said, well, why are you interested in CBD? And I said, anxiety. Like I am just, I'm dealing with a lot of anxiety lately and I do all these healthy things in my life, but I'm still experiencing anxiety. So I thought this was another good option to go. Maybe this will help shut my brain off a little bit when I need it. And so then she kind of recommended a dosage for me. 
Um, is it, should it be that individualized every time or is there sort of a, Hey, start with this and then move up in these increments? Sharon coined this phrase, but we recommend people start low and go slow. Okay. So you really have to dial in what's going to work for you. And what we tell most people, if you're interested in an ingestible, so we'll start there. Um, we sell a thousand milligram tincture and a 1500 milligram tincture, then a 10 milligram gummy and a 20 milligram gummy. And the dosing seems wildly different when you talk mm-hmm. about a thousand versus 10. But the way the industry labels tinctures is the total amount of CBD or cannabinoids in the product itself and in the bottle, not per dose. Thank you. I think that's a very good distinction to make for people who don't know, because you do, you see that tincture and you're like a thousand and then you're looking at your gummies and it's 20 or whatever it may be. So thank you for making that distinction. So if, if you look at the label and in, in a one ounce tincture, which is approximately 30 milliliters, there are going to be 30 one milliliter dosage doses in that bottle. So if you divide the number on the front by that 30, it tells you how much there is in each full milliliter dropper from that bottle. Mm -hmm. So what we tell people generally is start with half of a dropper. So that's approximately 17 milligrams of CBD, half of a dropper from a thousand milligram tincture. Start there, give it a few days. And like anything, while you might see benefits right away, you're going to maximize your benefits after about three to five days because it builds up into your system. You get that kind of continuity of benefit. Um, so give it a, give it three to five days. You can always go up or down from that point to be able to get that dosage that gives you what you're looking for, whether that's relief from anxiety, you know, stiffness, improved flexibility, you know, whatever that might be. But find that dosage that works for you. Start lower. Why, why would you go out and buy a 2,000 milligram tincture and take a full dropper load of it? Yes, you, you'll see benefits from that. But your body's only going to be able to absorb a, absorb a certain point. And for some people, that point's going to be 10 or 15 milligrams per dose. For some people, it might be 50 or it might even be higher. It really depends on the individual. So you look at that. Start with half of a dropper. That's what we suggest for everybody. Half of a dropper full. And then give it time and then increase slowly if you want to go beyond that. We kind of started to touch on this at the beginning and then we really dug into a little bit more of the the science and the dosage and things like that. But let's kind of jump back to your considering starting this business and and um, the concerns that go into that, the, the potential worry, the, the loss of money or it not being successful. So can you talk a little bit about that to other uh, business owners that might be listening or potential business owners as they're thinking about, you know, okay, it's going to take this much of an investment. Here's the risk. What, what concerns did you have if you don't mind sharing? And was it just, Hey, we're just going to just plow right through this and, and not be afraid and do it. Or how did you hedge some of those concerns? Well, the first thing I will say is no plan survives contact with reality. (laughs) No matter how well you plan, no matter um, what you may think you have thought of or what contingencies you've come up with, there will always be, and it won't just be one thing, but multiple things that pop up in front of you that there was no way you could have foreseen 
or even guessed at. So understand that starting a business, it's there, there is risk with starting a business, Mm -hmm. Uh, especially when you're going into a new industry with a lot of unknowns. You know, there are still people, there are still companies. If you go to a big box store, you're not going to find ingestible hemp products. You'll find topicals now, but you will not find ingestibles. So there, there, even today, you know, I guess three plus years in, there's still a lot of concern and uncertainty. So starting a business is, is always like that. And the, the, all you can do is try to develop the best plans possible. Think about what could happen uh, you know, one instance for us is we built in pr- what we thought were pretty significant decreases in how much both you could buy hemp biomass for and how much you could sell extracts for. And we built in, I think it was uh, a 33% year over year decline. And it was more like 80% oh, wow. okay, <laughs> in that first yeah. year decline. So yeah. you really, it, it's very difficult to be able to estimate everything that may happen. Uh, and then, you know, you, you, you should never go into a business without having thought through what is your outlet for whatever it is you're going to make. If, if you don't have that, if you don't have a way to sell what you're making, don't go into business. Uh, and you don't necessarily have to have your customers lined up, but you have to know who, what type of person or business your customer is going to be so that it, you can at least start going down that path to gain those customers. A lot of hemp farmers especially jumped in, especially early on, and thought, well, I'm going to grow hemp and I'll be able to sell it, no problem. And what they found was because of the glut of biomass on the market, they couldn't sell it. A lot of biomass was lost in 2019. uh, There was probably five years worth of biomass grown, and that's my estimate, nothing official, but probably five years worth of biomass grown in 2019. Wow. And it's one of the reasons that prices depress. It's supply and demand. If there's an overabundance of supply to fit what's a relatively fixed demand, people drop prices to be able to sell and then their competitors drop prices and they have to drop prices farther. And it, it leads to a spiral, which in this case was very, very significant. So you, you have to understand what, what your outlets are, what customer, what your customer base is going to be. You have to understand how to contact that customer base. And, you know, people that start hemp brands are surprised, especially true hemp brands that have cannabinoids in them. They're surprised that they can't advertise, Mm. you know, and people like, like I said earlier, Amazon or Google, not only do they look at your label and see, well, you have, you know, you say thousand milligrams CBD here. No, if you put a thousand milligrams of hemp extract, they're going to go to your website too. And if you talk about CBD or other cannabinoids, they're going to pull your product off of their platforms. One place I know you guys are reaching customers currently is the farmer's market. How else are you guys reaching customers besides being where they are? We've looked, we have a couple of distribution agreements um, with companies, we do a little bit of wholesale, but we really haven't pushed that very far because Upstate Alchemy was really meant to be a way for 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 us to really be able to educate people. 
You know, here's a product that is going to work for you. And if you don't think it's, if it doesn't work for you, bring it back. We'll give you your money back, but we want you to try it. And here's why it's going to work for you. Not just, it's not just us telling you, here's why it's going to work for you and how it's going to help you. And we've really stayed local with it. We haven't so far, at least we haven't, we don't have that intention to take it any more than that. Mm -hmm. Um, We've been approached by a couple of different companies. So we're considering it. But our real purpose with that brand was to educate people. And it <laughs> it, it came out, be, it, it really started because people kept on stopping by the plant, wanting to buy something. Yeah. You know, and, and that's how that brand really started at first. That's a, that's a great way to have to start a business that's is right. people are asking you, please, please sell this so I can buy it. Um, and currently you guys are located out in Traveler's Rest. Correct. And... From the experience that I've had, Traveler's Rest seems to be very small business friendly, very about entrepreneurship. What has been your experience with the community there? Oh, it's been great. There is a lot of, you're right, there, there is a lot of interaction between small business owners in Traveler's Rest. Um, we help each other out a lot. Um, and it's very, very supportive. The farmer's market has been nice because not only has it allowed us that outlet to be able to educate people and to sell some product, but it's put us in touch with a lot of those businesses that are local. And, you know, not only do we purchase product from those people and sell product to those people, but we can help each other out. You know, COVID and everything that's happened since COVID has really put a strain on logistics worldwide. And it's difficult sometimes finding, especially packaging components sure. or certain ingredients. So we help each other out. You know, we, we, we tell each other how we found different sources and, and give those sources to each other. Or I might have an abund- overabundance of a certain container that somebody else might be able to use. And, you know, we can trade off and, and help each other out. And it's been great. That's uh, wonderful to hear because that's one of the aims of this podcast is to really talk about how not only how small business owners are doing it or how entrepreneurs are out there kind of pursuing um, their dreams and and bringing something new to our communities, but how we can support each other and support our local economies. Because I really believe when our local economies bloom, um, it it supports everybody. And if we can support our local small business owners, we are creating jobs for ourselves and for our children and and for our neighbors. And then, um, so we all benefit. Uh, so it's really exciting to hear how well that concept works just between business owners. Um, especially with this logistics, uh, supply chain crisis that we really had and are having another aspect of your website that I loved. Cause I think, uh, if you're going into, uh, any type of business to kind of have your, not only your mission or your goal stated and set, but to have your values. And in your case, you have them listed as uh, principles. Um, it's so important because uh, it kind of sets a standard for yourself and for your team and something that you're measuring yourself against, but also something that your customers can hold you accountable to. So right. it kind of forces you to then be in line in it uh, with it. Uh, especially when you make it public, like you guys did on the Ascent Naturals website. Um, so I just wanted to read these principles and then just ask you a couple of questions about mm-hmm. them. Cause I think it's really important. Um, so number one is be honest in every aspect of your business Two, provide your customer with what they want when they want it. Three, treat every employee as if they are the most important asset of the company because they are 
Four, always make time to listen to the stakeholders in your company, customers, employees, vendors. Every point of view is a piece of the puzzle that helps lead to success. Five, never allow your company or its employees to stop learning, thinking, innovating, and creativity are absolute musts for survival. And six, there's also always room for improvement. And seven, have fun. Right. Which of these is the hardest to maintain? Honestly, um, (laughs) to have fun at times is probably the hardest because in anything, it seems like there's times of feast and famine Mm -hmm. um, and things will kind of slow down and you have time maybe to do some extra projects that you've been wanting to do would have been able to. And then seven of your customers all order on the same day. And then you're scrambling like crazy to be able to meet all of the different requirements that all the different to be able to make all the products and get them out on time. So at times have fun uh, is a little bit difficult to do. Yeah, that makes um, sense. The, the easiest ones. And I think if you want to be successful in, in anything that you're going to do, do what you say you're going to do. If, if companies would take that simple philosophy and that goes to being honest, it goes to meeting your customer's expectations. But if you just do what you say you're going to do, you are satisfying your customer and your customer is going to come back. There are always going to be obstacles that are going to be thrown in your way to try to prevent you from doing that. And there are times that you're not going to be able to do that for whatever reason. Own up to it. Be upfront with your customer. Tell them ahead of time. Don't wait till the day that you're supposed to ship the product and say, oh, you know what? The machine broke. We took us a week to get the part. It'll be next week before we can ship. Because that's too late for them. They were expecting the product to go out. If, if, if you, when something happens, whatever it might be, if you're upfront with your customers, they will understand. They may not like it. They may not like the fact that they have to wait a little bit extra longer for their product. But they will understand and they'll be appreciative because you took the initiative to be upfront with them. And to be successful, you just have to, you just have to do what you say you're going to do. I love that. I think that's, unfortunately, it's something that's not as common as it should be. But I agree with you 100% that that has to kind of be the leading aspect of your business. Uh, and if you can't meet that baseline before you get started, probably don't get started. Right. <laughs> Do us a favor and maybe don't get started. Um, so this this podcast, as you know, is called Conversation Mill. So I, I kind of want to ask everybody that we talk to on this show the same question to sort of wrap things up or the same two questions. So the first question is, if um, who is somebody in this industry, whether in the hemp industry, CBD, um, who is somebody that you would want to, that you haven't maybe, or somebody that you do often sit down and have a conversation with and either learn more about the industry or just have a conversation about how the industry is going. Who would that be or what company would that be with? I actually wouldn't narrow it down to a single individual or company. I think it's important to get as many points of view as possible. There are some companies that are doing extremely well and they have a very, very favorable outlook on the industry because they're doing well. And they gloss over the issues that regardless of how well you might respect the company. And and I'll, I'll use, um, Charlotte's web as an excellent example. You know, they started, they were, their whole premise for starting was the story behind helping a young girl, um, with cannabinoids. And while they have done very well, 
And it would be great to have a conversation with those founders and really get more in depth on what's going on. But I also want to talk to people that are struggling. I want to understand what it is that they're struggling with, because there are lessons, two ways to that. One is I can learn from their struggles, meaning, okay, you've highlighted something that you faced. I may face that. So I have a chance to be able to think about how to overcome that. But on the flip side of that, I may have faced that struggle already and found how to overcome that obstacle. And I can pass that information on to that that individual or that company. So I, there's not really just one. I, I'd, I'd like to get as much input as I can, as many points of view as possible. Okay. Um, and then my second question is not just uh, the industry that you're currently in, but if you could just have a one-on-one conversation with anyone, living or dead, who would you like to sit down and have a conversation with? Benjamin Franklin. Okay, and why? I've always admired the the innovations that he was able to bring. You know, he, he wasn't just a founding father, but you look at the post office and libraries and fire departments and lightning rods and bifocals and how does one person come up with all this? The, the, the printing press, that the way he expanded the use of the printing press. And I mean, how does one person do all of that? You know, how do you, how do you go from we need a library to, we need better mail service to, hey, how do I stop lightning from causing fires on houses to, man, my vision is not as great close up. How do I make it work so that I can see far and, and close at the same time? How do you go? How do you jump from that one to the other and also be a statesman and mm-hmm. represent a new country internationally? It, it, I think it would be a fascinating conversation just to, to learn more about that, his process, his, his thoughts, you know, how he came up with these ideas. I, I love that answer. I'm such a history buff and I spent a lot of time reading about the founding fathers. Um, but I was reading from the perspective of the founding fathers that were presidents. Um, and so it's definitely time for me to dig into people like Benjamin Franklin, but I love that answer. He also spent so much time in France and was representing the country there and, and just everything he did there as well. So yeah, I, how much he accomplished in a lifetime is mind blowing. Yeah. Um, Walter Isaacson did an excellent biography on him. I'll definitely have to check that book out. Thank you for the recommendation. Thank you for coming on Conversation Mill today and sharing with us what inspired you guys to create the Ascent Naturals and Upstate Alchemy brands and sharing some insider information on how the CBD industry is running. Uh, We look forward to speaking to you again in the future and wish you all the best. To learn more about Ascent Naturals and Upstate Alchemy, visit ascentnaturals.com or upstatealchemycbd.com. If you are in the Greenville area, you can stop by their booth at the Traveler's Rest Farmer's Market. Thank you again to Marty for coming and sharing his experience in the CBD industry with us today. Don't forget to follow Conversation Mill on Instagram for episode previews and join Conversation Mill at conversationmill.substack.com for additional chats with our guests, entrepreneurship tips, leadership training, and member-only content. And as always, thank you for listening to Conversation Mill and being part of our community.